Good afternoon and welcome to Tuesdays at 2 with the CenterVision Leadership Foundation. My name is Todd Greer, Executive Director of CenterVision Leadership Foundation, and we're so thrilled to have you join us for another amazing week in our Tuesdays at 2 series. Before we get too far into our series, today's guest is going to be Scott Smith, and we're thrilled to have Scott on board with us today. Uh, we also want to let you know on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Scott is going to be our guest on our Twitter chat. That's hashtag nonprofit chat, and you can find that through Twitter, hashtag nonprofit chat. Scott will be joining us Thursday at 4 for that great opportunity. Also want to remind you, if you have not seen some of our previous events, you can always find them on the website. That's at centervisionleadership.org slash hangouts. You'll be able to find all of our events also through the centervisionleadership.org website. We're also thrilled to remind you about the Nonprofit Performance Magazine. You can find that at nonprofitperformance.org. You can find out how to sign up for your free digital issue. The second issue of that magazine comes out December 1st, and that issue is going to focus on values in the nonprofit. Our guest today, Scott Smith, is actually a contributor to issue number three, and we're excited about that as it comes forward. But before I go any further, let me let you know how you can get in contact with Scott. Scott's going to present us with some really intriguing information here. We call it Leadership Lessons from the Front Lines. And you can find Scott on Twitter at, uh, at Scott Stanley SMI for Smith, SMI, Scott Stanley SMI. That's his Twitter user handle. And you can also find out information about what he's going to present today, the Extraordinary People book, and that's ExtraordinaryPeopleBook.com. So without further ado, Scott, thanks for joining us. Hey, Todd. I'm glad to be here and uh, talk about my favorite subject, which is great leadership. Absolutely. Well, we're so thrilled to have you here. This is a, an exciting day for us. One, it's Veterans Day, and, and we're excited to be able to uh, honor the people who have gone before us, in, in, in whether they were in military service, or those people that just left a legacy for us that we're able to learn from. And, Scott, that's what your book's all about, isn't it? Right. And, and you know, actually... Uh, military leadership it has a lot to teach business and nonprofits, so we can get into that as we dive deeper. But it's one of the things that I write about for Investors Business Daily. I've got four articles running this week on uh, great military leaders and what they can teach us for any business or nonprofit. Fantastic. So, Scott, for the person who's never heard of you, who knows nothing about you, who are you? I thought I was already famous worldwide, but uh, for the benighted, let me bring you up to speed here. Um, I, I really kind of can attribute my journalism career and business career to being an overachieving Boy Scout because uh, I saw all these incredible merit badges, got most of them, and got over-curious about the world. And then by the time I got to college, it made it hard to pick a career because I had too many interesting things going on. But my first real job uh, came after I dropped out of college, uh, along with Bill Gates and Michael Dell and my 
fellow famous people. Good and uh, I decided to engage with the real world, and by pure accident, I stumbled into a job managing two big Whole Foods-like stores in Los Angeles in the 1970s when this was not quite acceptable. Mm. Uh, this was kind of like uh, saying you were an astrologer or something if you were uh, a manager of what we used to call health food stores back then. So at the same time that I and I'd never worked in a store before it was really a fluke and I had to quickly learn and there's nothing better than retail when it comes to teaching you how to deal with the customers face to face and what they like and don't like and dealing with employees that don't show up and and all the other fun things in business and at the same time I co-founded a national newspaper that we eventually sold to Vegetarian Times and I became an editor there so I had these kind of parallel careers what's important about that is that it it helped me understand business management and nonprofit management uh, we were largely nonprofit, not by intention, at both the stores and the newspaper. So I know what it means to kind of have a frugal budget and and have to really uh, be fierce about your prioritizing. Now I took that knowledge into the second phase of my career, which was to do financial PR or business PR for 85 public companies at a investor relations agency from uh, 1983 to uh, 1997 and that taught me what Wall Street demands what public companies have to do to get investors and the pluses and minuses of going public now all of that really laid the foundation for my business journalism career which was really launched in 1998 I landed an interview with Howard Schultz of Starbucks because he had his first biography out and uh, that one thing led to another a little smoke and mirrors and I got interviews with Bill Gates and Michael Dell and Lee Iacocca and uh, Meg Whitman who was then at eBay and a lot of the other great CEOs and what I began to learn was that there's a big difference between the great leaders and the ordinary managers. Jim Collins has written a whole series of books, uh, Built to Last, Good to Great, on the difference between kind of the number one company in a field and the number two, uh, which kind of boils down to if you want to be a great leader and have a great company, you need to have a an idealistic vision and mission for what your company's about. The number two player knows exactly what the number one is doing. There's no secret formula, but human nature interferes and they can't get around or can't get past the internal departmental politics and uh, then they want to shove as much of the workload on their assistant and you know all the other things. Uh, they have a slogan on the wall that says the customers number one um, but then they pay their frontline people two dollars an hour in the Philippines uh, to handle the customers and the kind of crummy customer service that is the norm for business and you know with all the great business books out and all the MBAs and 
all the management seminars most businesses are poorly run today so it's no surprise that most businesses go out of business in their first five years and something on the order of 90 percent over the first 10 years and most executive recruiter recruits uh, who are processed very very carefully before they're hired within six months or so they're disillusioned with the company and vice versa and most startups uh, don't work out uh, despite how bright the venture capitalists are and how much screening is done and most mergers and acquisitions don't work so if it were just a matter of intellectual knowledge and having a high IQ instead of an EQ emotional intelligence then uh, leadership would be widespread and companies would be better run so I began learning all of this stuff and I found a niche in writing for business magazines because I had hands-on experience the problem with most business journalists is they've never had a real job you know they went to journalism school got out and took a job at Dow Jones screwing up the press releases that I used to send them from my investor relations agency because they didn't understand so that is a big problem in covering business that gave me an edge and talking to and learning from all these great leaders um, got me uh, my gig a few years ago where I'm now uh, for Investors Business Daily. I'm a freelance contributor to the Leaders and Success column and I've kind of extended that going back into history and other fields. Um, whether you're looking at uh, Cyrus the Great, the founder of Persia, who Peter Drucker, the father of modern management, said he's the best leadership study in history, you know, going back and that far and looking at that. Or Mary Pickford, who was kind of the first uh, great producer in Hollywood, the first silent movie star. And, and the lessons that you can learn from taking a broader look at success is what I've come to specialize in. And it's important in part because you know we we kind of uh, lapse into our habits and assumptions and we forget what innovative thinking is is because all the conventional wisdom of our industry whether you're a nonprofit or an oil company or whatever it, it, you're, you're so busy just trying to survive every day it's hard to think big and look at things objectively and you lose your perspective so going back into history and looking at fields outside your own can give you fresh ideas so that's kind of what I've been doing in the last few years is focusing on that and I do interview top CEOs I just did a, a piece on uh, Richard Branson mm -hmm. and David Cote the uh, CEO of Honeywell and so you know I stay up with the great leaders but there's great leadership way beyond the business field that's fantastic Scott and I, I want to go back to uh, your book, Extraordinary People, and, and again, that's at extraordinarypeoplebook.com. You, you've been talking about history. You've been talking about the leadership lessons. Is that what led you to write this book? Tell us a little bit more about how the book came about. Yes, well, I was a very reluctant author because the decline in reading uh, as somebody once said, uh, Americans are illiterate. They would read if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. uh, but that 
and the um, the decline in in the book world and the fact that uh, it, it's uh, that's actually ironically led to 200,000 ebooks a year, which kind of clutters the field. It's hard to break through and get attention. And um, I, I really didn't want to write a book that nobody was going to read. So, uh, but the problem was. Uh, 1,300 words in Investor's Business Daily to talk about the lives of great people and what you can learn from them. It's not enough. It's, it almost turns out into leadership haiku where <laughs> I can just highlight a few things in their career and hint at a few things and then, you know, I had a lot of readers say, hey, I love these, but, you know, can't you dig into this a little deeper? How about a book on the subject? So. I don't own the stories because I'm just a freelance contributor and so I thought of and the other thing that led to my writing the book was uh, as you know I'm a history buff and Investors Business Daily doesn't have as much of that interest in the wider deeper historical stuff so I had a lot of ideas that I had pitched and they weren't interested in so I thought well I can if nothing else I'm gonna have fun writing it and I'm gonna learn because one thing I've learned in doing all this writing is I start out like most people not knowing much about the subject and mm. uh, you know I have the headline and uh, we all think we know uh, what this person's about and my experience is that the giants of contemporary business and the giants of history in every field are just full of surprises they're incredible people and they're inspiring and I want people to read biography this is kind of this is these chapters are 2600 words easily digested I want to give people a taste of inspiring biographies because then they might want to go out and start reading full and I think that if you are a leader especially in the nonprofit sector you really need a lot of inspiration and resilience because it's a tough gig managing a nonprofit. Scott, if you could real quickly, just throw a couple names out that you uh, spotlight in this book, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, you're asking me to pick my favorite children, so... Um, <laughs> well, I actually did, this is a, another reason, uh, you can read some of your material sometime. I wrote a, I was given an opportunity to interview Ray Charles before he died, but my idiot editors at a magazine that will remain nameless decided he wasn't important enough because he'd kind of faded a little bit from the scene. This was before uh, the, I think it was the 2004 movie Ray, mm -hmm. which showed everybody what a, an amazing life this guy had. You know, he was blind, I think at age 10 or something like that. And, and his mother basically said, hey, I'm not helping you. You're going to have to learn to get around. I'm not going to be around forever. You go figure it out. And so he literally stumbled his way to success and built his confidence and became one of the great musicians of all time. So uh, he's in my chapter on overcoming adversity. And, you know, when you read these kinds of stories, you realize, you know something, I don't have it half so bad. Likewise, uh, I'm I, I love American history, and uh, one of my favorite guys is somebody that a founding father nobody's ever heard of, Governor Morris, and 
he was the guy who really wrote the Constitution, which was not an easy thing. I mean, the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson was kind of given a free hand to do it, and then they revised it a little bit. But the Constitution was a very complicated document because of the stakes that were involved with the power shift from the states to the central government, and he had to kind of appease all the different factions. But it's really his wording, and he was a super colorful guy who believed that you need balance in your life. And he was this, just this giant figure in history. He was one of the very few founding fathers who spoke out against slavery through the whole Constitutional Convention. He was telling them, hey, you, this patchwork solution you've got to slavery here is not going to work. It's going to create a problem. It's going to blow up in your face eventually. So it gave me a chance to write about these people and what they did. And there's another, there's another thing here about um, learning about great people, whether they're from history or the past, and that is, or for the contemporary leaders, and that is this. Um, it, if you have a cocktail version knowledge of somebody's biography, it gives you a chance to connect with other people whether it's your donors at a nonprofit, your customers uh, in a business, your employees, your vendors, um, you've got something in common to talk about and you start learning about people. Wow, you find out you've got other things in common. And I, I think this is kind of that and the building the resilience are kind of the two great reasons to read inspiring biographies. And so my little book, Extraordinary People, real-life lessons on what it takes to achieve success makes it easy for people to kind of get into biography and see the value of it. Scott, I think that's such a great point, and I think, uh, as you put it so well, there's so many things that we can learn from the people who have gone before us, and what I found really intriguing about this book as I was reviewing it is the fact that there are some names that we're very familiar with. I mean, as you mentioned, there's the Ray, Ray Charles. You know, there's people like Jackie Joyner Kersey or General MacArthur. But there are a lot of individuals, uh, just as you mentioned, Governor uh, Morris. Mm -hmm. Okay. As I read it, I thought, who are these people? And, and yet, what you do so well is you've encapsulated them and you've given us learning points, okay? And I think that's something that's really intriguing. Uh, we, we recognize that as individuals that are very busy, uh, it's very important for us to, to think about what's my takeaway. And, and for the nonprofit leader, Scott, you do something that's really beneficial in my part. Uh, you give us a, a takeaway. You, you, you Each chapter ends with some really intriguing stuff. And, and what I want to do is, over these next few minutes, I'd like to pinpoint a few chapters and a few topics that I think really stick out to the nonprofit leader, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay, great. So you, you touch on this idea at the very outset of the book, and I think it's such a powerful message, about create something new. And in that, you pinpoint two individuals, um, and, and I know for lack of time, or for time issues, we're going to go ahead and I'll let you choose which one you want to go with, but we've got Reed Hastings, who is the CEO of Netflix, and we've got a lady by the name of Martha Harper, and, and most people probably have never heard of Martha, but you call her like basically the, the founder of franchising as a whole. What does it mean for the nonprofit leader to create something new in this life? Right. Um, I'll give a plug for a book I just 
got through reading by one of my favorite authors, John Maxwell. He's got this new tiny little book out called How Successful People Think. Mm. And there are dozens of these kind of lessons, things you can practice. You know, the self-improvement thing is something that Ben Franklin really launched with his autobiography and he told about how he would pick something to work on and human nature being what it is you know you gotta keep working at these things and keep reminding yourself to be detail-minded and and to pick up communication skills and things like that because you know if you don't practice these things uh, then you start to lose them so part of the purpose of these mini lessons of my column in Investors Business Daily and Biography and stuff is to kind of remind us in a different context about things like innovation. So the um, Martha Harper uh, was born in 1857 and she invented the franchise concept and she had a lot to overcome because she was an indentured servant at seven, basically a slave. Her father was a gambler, a, a, a lazy guy, and that was very unusual to put a child out at that age. But she was fortunate to work with a doctor who gave her a formula for great hair. And then she started becoming a domestic servant. She moved to Rochester, New York, where the suffragette movement was based. and as she started uh, treating the hair of her mistress and her friends, um, she started thinking, you know something, uh, a lot of women would be interested in this. I think I'll open up a public beauty parlor. Except the problem was there was no such thing at the time. It was, it was considered intimate, mm. almost like bathing, to go have your hair done in public and have a beauty parlor. And, but she didn't take no for an answer. Uh, nobody wanted to rent her the space. They thought it might lead to scandal. She pushed ahead, sued the guys in court, finally won, set up her shop, and then it was very difficult to get people to come in. Um, but uh, gradually she found some clever ways to reach out and some of the suffragettes came in, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony and they started telling their friends and then when conventions came to town they brought people there and people started saying wow I'd love to own one of these little beauty salons in my state or my city and so she decided she was going to set up standards and then she would go around and inspect them there'd be a code she'd give them the formulas and all that stuff eventually she had what were known as 500 Harper method salons all over the world. Wow. I think she died in, in um, 1965 and she um, really invented the concept of franchise um, although she's not remembered for that. Now there's a lot of lessons embedded uh, in addition to being an innovative thinker and not taking conventional wisdom for uh, to kind of stop what you want to do. One is that you know, uh, you can really uh, give up when you run into obstacles or you can take it as an opportunity to be more creative and step back and say, well, you know, like Edison said about the first thousand times that he tried to invent the uh, electric light bulb, uh, well, I've learned, you know, that many times how not to do it and you know you just step back and you find another way so 
that's just one example of innovation and and you know this is really critical for nonprofits the bottom line is that every organization uh, tends to fall into conventional thinking so let's say you're a nonprofit in the music area or athletics why don't you go read about and study how nonprofits work in a completely different sector mm. and specifically look for the unconventional thinkers, the people who are doing things differently for nonprofits and showing how you can get by, you know, on a leaner budget and do great things, biggest bang for the buck and that sort of thing. Absolutely. And Scott, this is really interesting because one of the things that you you pointed out there is a lot of times innovation comes through adversity and adversity it is part of your second chapter here, overcoming adversity, and I, I think most individuals that are out there will very uh, clearly know these two names that you, you look at. You look at Ray Charles, as you mentioned before, and Stephen Hawking. What does the nonprofit leader learn from these chapters about overcoming adversity? I mean, obviously, it's not that uh, we would face any adversity in the, the third sector, so to speak. <laughs> Right. Well, I think we can fairly say that since Stephen Hawking can now only communicate by flickering his cheek and a laser picks that up and, and so he picks out letters one cheek wiggle at a time. That's as much as he can move. Um, our problems in comparison are relatively modest. So here's an inspiring story. Now what he's done is, amazingly enough, is He's used the fact that he can't write notes to an advantage. Um, one of his colleagues said he's able to, he's cultivated the ability to think in three dimensions. So he has the ability to not think outside the box, think outside the universe as we conceive it. And so he is one of the greatest innovative thinkers of all time. Um, and there's a movie coming out this month called The Theory of Everything about his early life as he was getting sick and how he started breaking conventional wisdom in his field and using, uh, not, not allowing his increasing inability to move uh, to stop him from making incredible contributions to the field. Um, and as I said earlier, knowing something about him, whether it's reading the chapter in my book or going to see the movie, this will give you a connection with people that you had no idea were interested in physics, for example. So I think it's, it's important to know about all the great people, and they inspire us, and they remind us that you know, um, you can be an innovative thinker, you can overcome adversity. So there's multiple things built into each chapter, each individual I cover. And I just highlight kind of one of these things. But at the end of each chapter, in addition to kind of the embedded lessons, uh, I have some other little kind of aphorisms that are takeaways that help people remember it. Absolutely, and, and I think your your third chapter is probably one that, that speaks so powerfully to me. Uh, we, we live in a time in which people, um, we think we've got to do it on our own, and for nonprofits, that's something that we recognize we have to begin to think differently. If we're not thinking about alliances and building alliances, as chapter three is titled, 
then we've got issues because there are there are times that we need to come together with other community organizations, with other not just nonprofits, but we need to think about public-private partnerships. We need to think about how do we work with our governmental organizations? How do we look work with our entrepreneurs? And, and you point that out in chapter three, and you give us Governor Morris and and Catherine the Great. What is it? What does a nonprofit leader learn about building alliances from either of these? Yeah, well, let's take Catherine the Great. Most people have heard of her. They know she was the Russian Empress in the 18th century, and beyond that, few of us would know anything. And I certainly did before I started writing about her. Um, what she's a great example of is if you come from another culture, the importance of immersing yourself in the culture, not just intellectually learning about it at a distance, which she could have done because she was German nobility and she was brought into Russia and her husband, who she overthrew actually, he was very, uh, he didn't have much regard for anything Russian. And so she learned the language, she converted to Orthodox Christianity from Lutheranism, and she actually did a completely outrageous thing. She, um, she began building alliances not just with the nobility, but with the peasants. She would allow any peasant to come up to her and make a complaint face to face. Also, she began mending fences with Russia's traditional enemies. And it's a lesson in seeing the glass half full. It's easy to see the faults in other people and what they did wrong and everything. You know, uh, it's the same thing in Congress. You can find fault with the other party. And yes, how are you going to accomplish anything when you need help? And, and it's the same thing in business. The problem with being an idealist is you can isolate yourself. You know, you can end up being Ralph Nader in Florida where you get, you know, a few percentage points and then you throw the election to uh, somebody that maybe wouldn't have won it without your participation. You have to look at what a, you know, are you being realistic or is your being a purist really harming your cause? And, and this is one thing politics, which I was once involved in, teaches you is how to balance idealism like in a nonprofit and, for example, taking a donation from a company that you don't fully support because if you only look for perfection in the world, you're not going to have very many supporters or allies. You know, you can fault find with everybody. We're all imperfect. One of the things I've learned is to learn from imperfect people. Mm -hmm. You know, if I went around looking for CEOs who did everything right, I'd have nobody to interview. So, Catherine the Great uh, is a great example of the enduring benefits of really trying to see the glass half full, get things accomplished, and she was realistic. She realized she couldn't do everything. She had to kind of appease the nobility who thought she was, you know, implementing too many reforms too fast. But uh, there really is a huge payoff. Yeah, uh, Scott, I, I want to move on to the the last uh, chapter that we're going to have time for today, and uh, we we talked at the outset about today being Veterans Day and. Uh, the value and importance uh, uh, that we as a nation need to ascribe to our, our military, to those that have gone before us and appreciate their sacrifice. Uh, you include General MacArthur here as somebody that we can learn from who acted audaciously. W would you give us just a little bit on him as we think about what does it mean for us as a nonprofit leader? Yeah. Well, 
So the important word is act because you can have all the bold plans you want if you don't take some action. And I included him because there's a great new biography by Mark Perry called The Most Dangerous Man in America about him. And, and I, along with most Americans, really have the wrong idea about him because we remember he was fired by Truman for defying civilian authority during the Korean War. But what we should be remembering for is he is arguably the greatest military field leader in World War II. He designed and implemented the island hopping strategy against Imperial Japan and he was a very courageous guy and even when he had to retreat from Corregidor to Australia and he left the Philippines and uh, people don't realize he actually won the Medal of Honor for that because he did many brave things to try to minimize the casualties and preserve the Allies forces and it was a strategic retreat and ultimately his uh, strategy worked because it was the first major joint air land and sea campaign in history and it was brilliantly implemented with a lot of great field manners, um, managers uh, under him and uh, to a great extent our victory over Imperial Japan was due to him and that's what we should remember and it was a very very bold strategy I mean one of the keys was that and this is a lesson for nonprofits is you know not every battle is all that important mm -hmm. uh, pick your battles he went island hopping he would bypass certain islands that he figured he didn't really have to have but wasn't worth the sacrifice he picked the key places like Guadalcanal and Okinawa and Iwo Jima and stuff and he concentrated the forces there and you know fortunately back then people weren't as squeamish about sacrifice and the same thing with the Civil War you know modern Americans really have no idea of sacrifice but nonprofit leaders do it's all about sacrifice to achieve the ideals so you know great leaders will be able to inspire absolutely incredible achievements so that's kind of the lesson to take away fantastic Scott thank you so much I, I think there's so much here in the extraordinary people book uh, for us to learn from I, I think you really encapsulated that in such a way that it's attainable uh, for each of us to be able to read uh, it's it's quick enough that we can get through it and not feel bogged down but there's so many takeaways that I think that are so important to us as a nonprofit leader uh, to think about what does it look like in our organization and I think that value is always to look back to those who have gone before us and think about how do we learn life lessons and how do we learn organizational lessons from the things that we've done so thank you very much for that it's been a lot of fun Todd and uh, we'll talk again sometime sounds great folks I want to again remind you you can reach Scott Smith on Twitter at Scott Stanley SMI that's his Twitter handle you can reach him there he's communicating there and you'll find out more information about his continuing series uh, with investors business daily Please make sure you check out his book. That's at www.extraordinarypeoplebook.com. And again, I want to remind you, Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Scott's going to be joining us for our hashtag nonprofit chat. You can always find us twitter.com, hashtag nonprofit chat. We'll be leading a discussion from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and we'd love to have you join us for that. 
Again, I want to remind you that our second issue of the magazine, Nonprofit Performance Magazine, is going to be launching on December 1st. Make sure you go to nonprofitperformance.org and sign up for your free digital issue. Again, I'm Todd Greer, Executive Director of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, and thank you so much for joining us for our Tuesday at 2. Hope you have a great day, and thank you to all of our veterans. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.